Let me ask you to open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs and chapter 6. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6. This message this morning is something of a surprise to me. Uh, many weeks ago, I had been thinking about Mother's Day and what I would like to preach about on this Sunday morning. We typically take a break from our verse-by-verse preaching on Mother's Day and Father's Day because it's a great opportunity to address issues of sometimes gender, sometimes complementarianism, sometimes issues of marriage or parenting or family. And So I began thinking about what I wanted to preach about, and I put together a message that uh, I was and, and still am very excited about. Um, I put together a message on what it means to be a, a missional mom, <clears throat> what it means to be a mom with the kingdom of Christ in view. And that is the message I intended to preach this morning. Uh, in God's providence, however, uh, another theme in recent days has gripped my heart, and it's a theme that I haven't been able to shake. So there's something else that I think we need to hear this morning. So tonight, I'll preach on the missional mom, but this morning I want us to be in Proverbs chapter 6. This particular passage has been on my heart and mind for the past several months. Uh, Even in conversations, I have mentioned this passage to many of you. I've been wrestling with a question, and the question is, how can someone go from being a committed follower of Christ to then living in outright rebellion against Him. More specifically, how can someone know that they're doing wrong, profess that they are doing wrong, at some level even maybe regret that they're doing wrong, and yet not have the will to break free? And Proverbs 6 and 7 gives us uh, something of an example of someone like that. These two chapters teach us about the adulterous woman and how seductive she can be when a man hasn't learned to say no to himself and to temptation. He gives in to sinful desires, and the passage says he becomes like an ox being led to the slaughter. He becomes like a stag caught fast, unable to get away as the arrows come to pierce him. We're told this man becomes like a bird in a snare that cannot break free. Proverbs 7 ends with these very sobering words. Proverbs 7 ends with these words. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Now, I am not just thinking this morning about sexual sin, though that's certainly a huge one. But the seductive woman in your life, in my life, might not actually be a seductive woman. She might be food and drink. She might be entertainment and media that you've become addicted to. 
She might be the temptation to live for money or to live for possessions or or to live for summer vacations or just self-indulgence. The fact is, there are many temptations that can be strong, so strong that once they get their hook in us, it's really hard for us to get free. We become so hooked that we don't, we don't want to get free. Uh, sometimes when you go fishing, you maybe begin to pull in a fish that fights and fights and it's trying to get away. And then after a while, the fish gets tired of fighting. It seems to accept that it's been hooked and the fish becomes much easier to reel in. How terrible it is to see a person with sin's hook in his mouth, and the person is no longer fighting, but being led like an ox to the slaughter. So today is Mother's Day, and I want to come at this from a parental perspective. I want us to think about our young people. I want us to think about our children. I want us to think about our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces, Do we understand the danger that they are in? It's the same danger that you and I are in. It's the danger of being lured away from Christ into some sin that ultimately destroys them. It's the danger of getting seduced into a way of life that wreaks havoc and hurts many, including themselves. And so I've entitled this message this morning, How to Save a Life. Its focus is on one theme from the book of Proverbs that is echoed again and again and again. You see, I've been thinking about my own boys and the real danger that one day they could be so hooked by some terrible sin that they hurt not only themselves but others. And here's the question I have as a father. What can I do right now for my boys while they are young to protect them? What can I do to train them up with God's blessing so that they will know how to say no to the seductive woman when she comes in whatever form she may be? And in this regard, as I've just been ruminating over Proverbs 6 and 7 for months, I've landed on one particular theme in these chapters. And it's the theme of discipline. Our children need discipline. And I don't just mean punishment and spanking. So don't don't go there first. That's, That's not what I'm mainly meaning. What I mean is this. We must help our children know how to say no to themselves. Our children need to know what it is to be under authority and to have their wills crossed by an authority that loves them and cares for them. Our children need to know how to submit their own wills to the will of God. They, like us adults, need discipline. To see where I've been getting this as I've been just ruminating over 6 and 7 of Proverbs. Look at verses 20 through 24. Verses 20 through 24 of Proverbs 6. And the the verse we're going to focus on is verse 23. But Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 20. My son, 
Keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Parents, there will be a day when your children will be out from underneath your care. There will be a day when your children will have to face the temptations of this life without you there to tell them what to do. Will they have your commandments to cling to? Will you have taught them right from wrong? Will they have your teachings, your warnings, your admonitions, and particularly, will they have the reproofs of discipline that this verse says are the way of life? The reproofs of discipline. The way of life. Don't we want our children to walk in the way of life and not death? Don't we want our children to be preserved from the dangers of seductive temptation? So I'm going to be very straight with this this morning. I want to speak directly to those in this room who are parents I am preaching to myself as much as to anybody. Put simply, if your child doesn't learn to respect authority and to say no to self, that child will not survive spiritually. If that child hasn't learned submission to parents, then that child will not know how to submit to God. If a child hasn't been taught that mom's word and dad's word mean something, they will be less likely to ever believe that God's word means something. A child that hasn't been taught to take what dad and mom say seriously because there are consequences will not take God seriously. The child that doesn't reverence his or her parents will not have reverence for God. The child that hasn't been taught through discipline To say no to temptation will lack self-control and you cannot give to Jesus what you don't control. That child will have no ability to give allegiance to Jesus or to follow Jesus. Instead, that child will be led around by every sensual temptation wreaking havoc on their lives and the lives of others. According to Proverbs 6, 21-24, here is how to save the life of your child. Discipline. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, friends, here is how you can save a life. Encourage those in your life with children in the home to practice faithful, loving, consistent, firm discipline. What I want to do this morning is present to you two different styles of parenting. One is a positive example. One is a negative example. I'm going to start with the negative example. I'm going to pick on the Smiths. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, Will and Jada Smith are both famous actors. 
Their children have become popular singers and actors as well. They've also been very public about how they've chosen to raise their children. For example, here was Will Smith's explanation of his parenting style that he gave in an interview with Hote Living. Here's what he says. He says, My style of parenting is very similar to that of my parents, minus the concept of ownership. I think that specifically in African-American households, the idea coming out of slavery, there's a concept of your children being property. And that was a major part that Jada and I released with our kids. We respect our children the way we would respect any other person. Things like cleaning up their room. You would never tell a full-grown adult to clean their room, so we don't tell our kids to clean their rooms. In another interview, this one online um, with the magazine Metro, Will Smith said, We don't do punishment. The way we deal with our kids is they're responsible for their lives. The concept is, as young as possible, give them as much control over their lives as possible, And the concept of punishment, our experience has been, it has a little too much of a negative quality. So this parenting style uh, basically gives children the responsibility to start making their own decisions as early as possible, and the parents do not make judgments about those decisions. There is no punishment. There is no discipline. Will Smith went on to say in the latter interview, you can do anything you want as long as you can explain to me why you think it's the right thing for you to do for your life. In other words, he says he's not there to tell his children how to live their lives. As long as they are comfortable with their decisions, who is he to judge? Mount Hermon, this is increasingly the direction our culture is heading It's also irresponsible parenting. It cultivates in children the sense that they are the authority of their own lives and that they can do whatever they choose. This is follow-your-heart parenting. This is be-who-you-are-and-let-no-one-tell-you-different parenting. This is parenting when God is left out of the picture as if he has no claims on our lives. The problem with follow-your-heart parenting is that the natural heart is wicked and selfish. The natural heart suppresses the truth about God and rebels against God's authority. Parents are God's ambassadors to the child, standing in God's place, teaching the child the importance of honoring His authority. So so why are children to honor their father and mother? Because father and mother are God-given authorities. And learning to submit to mom and dad is learning to submit to God Himself. Parents, Do you see yourselves this way? Do you understand the importance of your role? Think about God as your Father. Think about how God loves you and how He relates to you. Does your Father express His love for you often and deeply? Yes. And in the same way, your children need to know how much you love them. 
There is nothing godly about hiding your love for your children. Tell them you love them. Your father tells you over and over again. Right here in this book. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Right? Imitate his example. Show your love to your children. Give them big hugs. Let them know that you have great big dreams for their lives. Love them. But also imitating your father. In the context of that love relationship, teach your children as he teaches you. Give commandments to your children as he commands you. And give the reproofs of discipline as he reproves you. Look at our passage. We're told that your teaching and your commandments can become a life preserver for your child. Parents, the words that you speak to your children today can save their lives later on. Your heavenly Father loves you and therefore He commands you in the ways that are good and right. Your heavenly Father doesn't just give you suggestions. Your heavenly Father doesn't just say, it's your own life, who am I to judge? With His rightful authority over you, He tells you how to live, how to speak, how to act, even the right ways to think. In the same way, we have the Word of God, which is right and true, and we are commanded by God to teach the Word of God to our children. And when they test our Word, when they push the limits to see what they can get away with, as all children will, because they have natural rebellious hearts. We are to love them the way our Father loves us, with the reproofs of discipline. Your words and God's words become meaningless if our children don't learn that we mean what we say. It's tragic when I see parents who are not firm with their children And yet I know I've been guilty of it all too often myself. As I've worked with families in our community, especially with teenagers, I've begun to see the results of not being firm with our children and what it can mean. It was interesting, even last year at this time, when I was meeting with young couples in Romania, I found that this was the issue they wanted to talk about. Should I be firm and discipline my children or not? The temptation that we have as parents is to indulge our children. And what happens is that over time, the child begins to dictate the relationship. And so in a grocery store, the child picks up a piece of candy that he wants. Honey, put it back. We're we're not getting that. The child stomps his feet. Honey, I I told you, we're not buying that candy. The child begins to whine, begins to pout. The noise gets louder. Other people begin to pay attention. Honey, what did I say? The child begins to throw an all-out temper tantrum. What does mom or dad do? Okay, okay, just put the candy in the cart. If you do that, something deep has just happened. The child has learned that your words have no backbone. They now have the upper hand in the relationship and the consequences for their souls will be grave. 
What is the Bible's teaching on discipline? Well, even if we confine ourselves to the book of Proverbs, it's evident that the Bible has a very high view of discipline. We're taught in Proverbs 3 that we are not to despise the discipline of God. He is our heavenly Father, and as a Father, He disciplines us out of love for our good. God loves His children by disciplining them, teaching them humility, self-denial, and self-control. Don't despise the discipline of God, we're told. Proverbs 5.23 is a warning for us. It says, He dies for lack of discipline, and because of His great folly, He is led astray. To lack discipline means that a person has not learned to exercise control over oneself. An undisciplined person is led to and fro by fleshly desires. I I want sleep. I want to eat. I want to watch that. I want to hear that. I want to buy that. I I want, I want, I want. And, And the person doesn't know how to say no to self. As parents, one of the hardest lessons for us to learn is that one of the worst things we can do for our children is to continually give them what they want. They must learn how to go without. They must learn how to have their wills crossed. They must learn how to be content when they don't get their own way. Or how will they ever be able to follow Jesus Christ? Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And so I would ask all of us who are parents in this room, do you love your children? Your feelings do not give you the answer. The real answer is shown by our actions. And according to God's standards, if you do not discipline your child diligently but spare the rod, you're not loving your child. You're setting that child up for destruction. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. So in contrast to the parenting style of Will and Jada Pinkett Smith, I want to put before you the example of Susanna Wesley. On this Mother's Day, here is a fine mother for me to put before you as an example for the moms in our church. Susanna Wesley lived from 1669 to 1742. She was the mother of both John and Charles Wesley. She had 19 children, 10 of whom lived past infancy. This was the Susanna Wesley, we're going to talk more about her tonight, who was, would famously pull her apron up over her head as a tent, and she taught her children, when mother is under her tent, don't interrupt, that's her private time with God. So her prayer closet was a portable prayer closet, and she could enter into it whenever she needed to. I want us to hear the parenting advice of Susanna Wesley because here was a woman who had taken to heart the Bible's teaching. She had spent many years working it out and applying it in her own home and and then she sought to help others. And so here's what she says. She says, in order to form the minds of children, the first thing to be done is to conquer their will and to bring them to an obedient temper. 
Again, she says that in order to form the minds of children, the first thing to be done is to conquer their will and to bring them to an obedient temper. In other words, you'll never be able to truly teach your children to give them the commands that will serve them and save their lives until they've learned how to listen and how to submit their will to yours. So much depends on parents being able to teach their children. That cannot be done as long as the children are unwilling to hear. Wesley says, To inform the understanding is a work of time and must with children proceed by slow degrees as they are able to bear it. But subjecting the will is a thing which must be done at once and the sooner the better. For by neglecting timely correction... They will contract a stubbornness and obstinacy which is hardly ever after conquered and never without using such severity as would be as painful to me as to the child. In other words, we need to hear this. Teaching the minds of our children will take their entire childhoods. There is so much for us to teach them. And and as our children grow and develop, they become ready to hear more. They're, They're ready to learn more. Their entire childhood, we will be teaching their minds. It's a process that takes place over time. But subjecting our child's wills, that's not a process to take place over time. She says, our children must be taught to submit to the word and the will of the parents as soon as possible and as young as possible. If you wait till your child is five or six or seven, you've already made the job twice as hard as doing this when the child is two or three or four. If you wait till the child is 10 or 12 or worse, 16 or 18, you've made the job practically impossible. There are few lessons more important in life than to learn that we are under authority. As Christians, we are those bought with a price. We say with Paul, my life is not my own. But we can't live that way if we haven't learned how to submit ourselves to authority. Our culture is in the mess that our culture is in because people have thrown off this idea that there is any God to whom we owe any amount of submission God is good. God is wise. God is loving. If people would submit to this God, they would find that His ways are the ways of true freedom, leading to true joy and peace beyond what they can imagine. But like Adam in the garden, like Satan up in heaven, people rebel against God's authority. And it doesn't begin at age 20. And it doesn't begin at age 12. It begins in the crib. That's when it begins. Parents, how we respond to the stubbornness and the disobedience of our children can make a huge, huge, huge difference in the direction of their lives. Wesley again. Whenever a child is corrected, it must be conquered. And this will be no hard matter to do if it be not grown headstrong by too much indulgence. And when the will of a child is totally subdued and brought to revere and stand in awe of the parents, then a great many childish follies and inadvertencies may be passed by. Some should be overlooked and taken no notice of. Others mildly reproved. 
But no willful transgression ought ever to be forgiven children without chastisement, less or more, as the nature and circumstances of the offense require. So you, you hear what this woman is saying. She's saying the more you indulge a child, letting a child get by with disobedience, the harder it will be to help them learn obedience later. But if you can conquer the child's will so that there's no doubt about who is the authority and no doubt that mom and dad's word means something, well, then there are so many childish follies that can just be overlooked. In other words, in the long run, the child receives far less trouble and far less punishment when the work is done firmly and early. Now, what do you think about Susanna Wesley's language here of conquering the child? Does that sound too harsh? I am pretty sure Will Smith would not approve of using that language to conquer the child. James Dobson, uh, remarking on this particular quote, says that he agrees with Susanna Wesley's principles, but he notes that he would change some of these words if he was restating it so that we wouldn't be misunderstood. Conquering a child does not ever mean abusing a child. Conquering a child never means doing any lasting harm to a child. Rather, conquering a child means exactly the same thing as it meant when your heavenly Father conquered your will, dear Christian. Do you remember your conversion? Do you remember what it was like when you were finally brought to the point of surrender? Do you remember what it was like when you finally raised up the white flag to God and said, God, I am yours. I am your child. Wherever you lead, I will go. Whatever you have for me in this life, I will do it. Most of us do not look back at that moment in our lives as an abusive moment. But rather, we look back on it as one of the sweetest, indeed, perhaps for most of us, the sweetest moment of our lives. Aren't you glad, dear Christian, that your God loved you so much that when you were running headlong towards hell, living your life your own way, God got a hold of your heart and conquered you. He showed you the amazing glory of Christ. He showed you the terrors of hell. He showed you His amazing love. And by His Spirit, He taught your heart how to bow to His. Something like that has to happen in the parent-child relationship. And at the end of the day, it's a glorious thing. It's preparation for the day when God will answer our prayers and save our children. One last word from Susanna Wesley. She says, I cannot yet dismiss this subject. As self-will is the root of all sin and misery. So whatever cherishes this in children ensures their after-wretchedness and irreligion. But whatever checks and mortifies it promotes their future happiness and piety. This is still more evident if we further consider that Christianity is nothing else than doing the will of God and not our own. Again, she says, Christianity is nothing else than doing the will of God and not our own. 
that the one grand impediment to our temporal and eternal happiness is this self-will. No indulgences of it can be trivial, no denial unprofitable. Heaven or hell depends upon this alone. The parent who studies to subdue the will of his child works together with God in renewing and saving that soul. The parent who indulges the child's will does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that is in him to damn his child, soul, and body forever. It is no small thing to indulge children, grandparents, dear grandparents, beware spoiling children. There is a place for them to know that there is a difference in the relationship between grandparents and mom and dad. But just think about the word spoil. Think about how we usually use that word spoil. Do you want spoiled milk? Beware spoiling your grandchildren. It can have dangerous repercussions. If we saw a child about to run out into a busy street, if we saw a child about to head out into danger, almost certain death, what would we do? We would do whatever is necessary to save that child's life. Well, according to Proverbs 6, here is what is necessary to save a life so that when our children get older, they do not get pulled astray by seductive temptations, but learn how to say no and to follow Christ. What is it? It's the reproofs of discipline. And so Mount Hermon, let us be committed to prayer and encouragement for the families in our church, and especially for our children and young people. Those of you in this room who are older, and wiser don't hesitate to come to us younger families and give us counsel and advice we need it we need it (laughs) we need it say it again We, we need it come to us with your counsel and advice make sure it's biblical counsel and advice but bring it to us and younger families may we be eager and willing to learn from the godly saints around us Now, I had hoped to have enough time at the end to get very practical in what this might look like in the Christian home. The reproofs of discipline certainly look different when a child is 2 and when a child is 10 and when a child is 18. And I wanted to say some things about clear rules and the importance of consistency and discipline always being motivated by love and not by danger or anger. All that I have to wait for, for another time. I need to close this way. I need to ask every person in this room, no matter your age, no matter what stage of life you're in, the same question. Have you submitted your heart and your will to Christ? Now be careful. I am not asking whether or not you're a church member. I am not asking whether or not you think of yourself as a Christian. 
I'm not asking whether or not you've been baptized. I know most of you have been. I'm not asking whether other people around you would say that you're a saved person. Maybe they would. But I'm asking you a very specific and serious question. Is your heart and will truly submitted to Christ? Is he the husband of your soul? Is he your captain? Is Jesus Christ the great authority in your life, your master, your Lord, the one whom you love and love to obey when your will runs contrary to Christ's will? Whose will wins in your life? It is a scary, dangerous, and foolish thing to live according to the will of self. We are not smart enough, wise enough, strong enough, or good enough. But when we submit our wills to Christ and we look to Him, He makes us wiser. He makes us stronger. He makes us purer. We become true men and women. Full image bearers of God, full of freedom and joy and great potential when we are in our rightful place as children of the Most High God. If you have not, let me urge you, submit your will to the will of Jesus Christ. Say to him, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you have me do, I'll do. Because he is good. And he always will lead you to the safe place called home, called heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.